Welcome everyone to the Flying is Simple podcast. Today I have a very special friend of mine with me by the name of Veronica and she is going to talk to us all the way from Germany. Veronica girl, what's up? Hey, hey girls. Nothing much, Carol. It's just this evening over here, so you know, I'm winding down. So what time is it over there? Because right now, over here in the U.S., it's about 11.42. So it is 5.42 p.m. over here. Oh, okay. So there's a there's a nice time difference over mm-hmm. there. How have you adjusted to that? That's, that's really big. Oh, so at first, it was a little difficult, um, but... You know, it's just it's just like getting over jet lag. Like you know, the first couple of days it's kind of like difficult, but like after about a week or two, it's fine. But the main thing is like all my friends are still back in the states, all my family's still back in the states. So like it's been hard trying to keep in touch with everybody because when I'm ready to talk, y'all still sleep. <laughs> <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes. <laughs> so that's been like the hardest part of the time difference, just trying to you know, make schedules match up and whatnot. Well, speaking of family and friends back home, just talk to me a little bit about what the experience was like finding out that you were going to be moving all the way to Germany. Like what sparked the move? How did you process it, prepare? And then how did your family handle the news of you being so far away? Um, so... What sparked it was uh, my husband had just gotten back from his deployment. Mm-hmm. And we we knew that whenever he got back, we would be at the end of our, he would be at the end of his contract, number one, for the military. And then two, we knew we would be at the end of our time at Fort Bragg. Mm-hmm. And so we were already kind of like preparing for, you know, is he going to get out? Is he going to stay in? If he do, where are we going to PCS? And, you know, luckily my mom and my dad, they were in the military and I had an uncle that was in the military. I had a, I had two, three uncles that was in the military, I think. And, you know, so we're kind of like a military family. So everybody kind of knew at some point I might leave. Mm -hmm. And so it really wasn't like a big, big shock to them. The, The main thing that shocked them was where we were going. So, you know, most people, when they hear um, Europe, you know, military people in Europe, they think Germany, but then they think of like Stuttgart. Uh, they may think of um, really just Stuttgart at this point, <laughs> or Bomberg used to be a really big base, or um, Kaiserslautern. And they think of like the bigger bases, Ramstein even. They think of like the bigger bases uh, that hold military folk. So um, when he found out that he could re-enlist and if he did re-enlist he could be sent wherever he wanted he put in to go to Europe and so mm-hmm. um you know it was a little bit of waiting time before we found out we were actually going to go and so we already kind of knew we were but like when we finally found out I was like yes <laughs> I'm leaving <laughs> I know you were so excited I was so excited and I told my mom she was like oh my god you're going to Germany <laughs> she was so excited for me because she always talked about her time here she enjoyed her time here so much and she just she really wanted me to have the experiences that she had but um at the time my finances weren't weren't in the place where I could just fly over here you know and like live over here so I couldn't really have those kind of experiences but so when she found out that you know we were being sent over here she was over the moon excited and then you know 
eventually it hit her, oh my God, she really is leaving. So then she got stabbed and she got excited again. <laughs> oh mom so now that you all are how many years into your stint in Germany we are almost two years in and so oh. um, yeah we have a three-year stay and so next year sometime we'll be leaving and going somewhere else okay and how's mom doing at this point since you've been there for three years how's she handling it at this point she she's ready for she's ready for me to come home for a little break. She wants to see me, you know. She she's ready for um. She she just wants me to come home and spend some time at the house for a little bit. I think she's accepted the fact that I love it over here and I really don't want to go back to the states. But mm-hmm. I think you know she she's definitely ready for me to come home for like a little visit, you know. So what are some of the things that you love? I mean, I can hear it in your voice that you, when you speak about Germany, you just sound so excited and just so eager to, to be there. What so I really love everything about Germany. Like, what I think what really did it for me was just the nature here. We are in a very small part of Germany. Girl, ain't nobody ever heard of where we're from or where we're living. And then the people that have heard of it, they all say the same thing. Ain't nothing out there. <laughs> and it really isn't. <laughs> it's very much so like small town America. Like it's very much so like the towns back home where there are fields and people have chickens running around in their yards and you get stuck behind a tractor. But in spite of that, it's really, really beautiful. It has like soft rolling hills, and when it snows, it all turns white. And I really try to take pictures, but the, the pictures that I can take really do it no justice. So that's the first thing that made me love it. Just being out here surrounded by like these really, really picturesque type of scenery. Mm-hmm. Um, and then um, I started eating the food, and people often will say, "Oh, German food is bland. It doesn't have any flavor. It ain't good." Lies. <laughs> I had some of the best meals of my life over here. Do you have a favorite? Maybe, do you have a favorite cuisine? Oh, or favorite restaurant over there that you like to highlight? Um, let's see. A favorite restaurant? Yes, I have my favorite restaurant over here. I would have to say is Angus. Angus is an, a steakhouse over here, and um, it's kind of like a, well, no, it's just like a steakhouse, but their steaks are really, really high quality, and they cook them just right, and it really tastes really, really delicious, and every time I get a chance, I eat Angus as much as I possibly can. <laughs> <laughs> now, that's not, <laughs> it ain't German food, but it's really good. I had um, a German Sunday, Sunday lunch. Um, a few weeks ago, I think like two or three weeks ago, just before Thanksgiving. And um, it was one of the little butchers, they call them Metzgerais. One of the little Metzgerais here did like a little cater thing where you can, you, 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 you um, tell them that you want a plate, you pull up, pick up your plate and leave. And um, I had grilled duck with, um, they call it Blaukraut, which is like a, it's like red cabbage stewed with like apples and some other stuff. And then I had a canoodle. A canoodle is kind of like a potato dumpling. It's a it's really kind of like a thick and heavy dumpling. Mm-hmm. But when you look at it, it's like light and fresh. Girl, somebody, grandma was in the kitchen cooking that food. It was so. <laughs> 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 it 
delicious. I felt so sinful for eating a grilled, half a grilled duck with that blau crowd and that canoe. It was so good. Oh, that sounds delectable. So have you noticed like a big difference in the quality of food over there? Because I think we hear a lot over here in America that our food is overprocessed or it's filled with different chemicals and they're, you know, as they're farm raising these animals, the meat turns out to be a little bit less healthy for you. So have you noticed any differences in the quality of the food in Germany? Yeah, actually, um, the biggest thing I noticed was the color of the eggs. Mm. So I think I might have posted this on Instagram a little while ago, but um, the eggs in the commissary, the commissary is like the uh, military's grocery store. The eggs in the commissary are like a pale yellow, kind of like what we get back in the States. But the eggs we get on the economy, the economy is just like out about in Germany. The eggs we get on the economy are like a deep, deep orange color. They're like the color of like a mandarin or a cutie. And the flavor, like the eggs that we get on the economy are also a little bit more rich than the eggs we get from the commissary. So that was like the first thing I noticed was like, oh my God, these eggs are just so different. Now my husband, on the other hand, an egg is an egg is an egg to him. But to me... <laughs> <laughs> I was so surprised by how different they were. Um, the main difference comes in like, like your 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 store bought items. So we shop at Aldi over here, and um, Aldi sells cereal, but it's not the same cereal that you think of in the states. The cereal that we get from the states has so much sugar in it; it's ridiculous. And I didn't realize how much sugar the cereal had until I started eating other cereal that didn't have as much sugar. Mm-hmm. And girl, I was like, oh my God, we ingest so much sugar on a daily basis. Just, just a simple blow to bowl of like Frosted Flakes. Mm-hmm. Ton of sugar. Mm-hmm. And the crazy thing is, the same company that makes Frosted Flakes is the exact same company that makes a cereal for all these. But the one that they sell to us in America has like two or three times as much sugar than the ones they put in all the shelves. I believe it because, you know, I'm a self-admitted sugar addict and I did not get this way (laughs) on my own. (laughs) Uh, It's just having all the the different options and going and purchasing these items that just taste so good with all the sugar just caked on it. I mean, I think it's it probably for me would have been a little bit of a culture shock to to not be able to go in a store and purchase a box of cereal with 32 grams of sugar. <laughs> <laughs> that would be very sad. I would be very sad. I mean you could, but you have to go to base. And depending on what time of the month it is, what time of the day you go, the lines could be outrageously long, girl. Mm-hmm. So it's just easier to shop off post and cheaper to shop off post. Like, like we say that same box of Frosted Flakes in the States, that same little box will cost you like three or four dollars. Here's five or six because they got to import it. Right. And so if you want a budget, like a lot of families over here. They only have one income. So if you're on a budget, it's just cheaper to just do without the sugar and go yeah. get it on the economy. That makes a lot of sense. And I would imagine, you know, just being abroad, 
you don't want to spend all of your money on food. I think that there are probably many other more attractive things to spend that money on. What do you do all do for fun or just to like entertain yourself outside of the house? <sighs> Travel. A <laughs> 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 um, girl, I try to get out of this house as much as I can. If we can't travel, then we just try to eat at new restaurants. Mm-hmm. Um and that's pretty much it or um, what I like to do is like if it's a weekend and I'm not going anywhere and I'm just kind of home um, I like to go to a little nearby towns and go to a little city center and just kind of sit and chill and have a coffee or a cake or something and kind of oh. just people watch oh that sounds so amazing oh it <laughs> is I don't know why Americans haven't gotten the concept of having a city center like a little town square where you can just go and sit and people watch. Like every little town has a fountain and a town square. And next to that town and that fountain square, fountain and town square, you go find a cute little cafe that's gonna serve you a good little cup of coffee, a good little piece of cake or something. It's not even really cake, it's like a slightly sweet bread with some cream on top. Mm-hmm. But that's their cake. So cake, and you can have your meal if you want to, but you can just kind of sit there all day, just sit. And just watch. And if you drink wine and coffee and beer all at the same time, and then nobody gonna look at you crazy because they all do it too. <laughs> well, you know, I think America definitely needs these little center cities, and they obviously need a little small Mabrusa coffee co shop right in the yes. center. <laughs> they do. Speaking it into existence for the universe <laughs> to receive. <laughs> so I don't blame you for getting out and seeing everything while you're there. I know that being in Germany, you're so close to so many other beautiful places. Has any other place like stood out to you or have you visited it visited anywhere um noteworthy recently? Not recently. Um, I think the last like trip I went on was to Heidelberg, but that was in Germany. And Heidelberg has a lot of history. It's really pretty. I loved it. Um, but you know it's in Germany. I think um Let's see. Before Heidelberg, we live about two hours from the Czech, not even two hours. We live like 45 minutes from the Czech border. And so um, Prague, I think I've been to to Prague once or twice. And that was pretty fun. Prague's a great little city. Um, A lot of history, a lot of culture. Um, The people are pretty nice. Um, but I think everybody's been ni- everybody's been nice to us, <laughs> so um, it's really cheap over there too. Mm-hmm. I definitely, I definitely love Prague. I think last year we went to Paris, and Paris is its own little conversation. Mm-hmm. But it was nice. <laughs> it was people were nice to us. Everyone I also ever here I talked to, they said that you know they didn't enjoy it because the people were mean to them and rude. But girl, everybody was nice to me and my husband. I don't know what they talked about. <laughs> <laughs> and I did have a really good meal over in Paris. And that's kind of, I guess it's kind of cliche. Because, you know, you think France, you think really good food. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, it is really good food. It is really good food. Um, we had it. We had we had a meal. Um, it was like in a tourist area. So I really wasn't expecting much because it was a tourist area, you know. 
But yeah, it was really good. It was like I think it was kind of like the French's version of like Golden Corral, but it wasn't buffet. It was like a big meal, just like a big plate of food. Mm-hmm. Girl, I ate myself silly. It was so good. Oh, that sounds. Oh, I've got to try that in this lifetime. I have to. Please. <laughs> <laughs> so we talked about food and vacationing. Now, before you left, you were definitely very career oriented I mean you graduated from Carolina you did a lot of work within your local community working with the gear up program and then going on to work for Fayetteville State so talk to me just about the transition of being a career woman in the United States and then moving your whole life over to Germany and what you've been doing and been up to since you've moved there Whew, that has definitely been a challenge. Mm-hmm. Um, we got here in December of 2018, and I started working a full-time job in June of 2019. And some people will say, oh, well, that's not too bad. You know, it's only six months of a lag time, not even um, six months. It was like five and some change, but I had to fight for that job. And uh, I think the only reason why they hired me is because I sent them my resume like three or four times. (laughs) (laughs) What do you think the challenge was with obtaining the role? It's just a, it's a small pool of applicants and everybody is well qualified to get the same kind of a job. And so what I found here is there's like two extremes, either very, very educated or you're not. Like, you either just have a high school diploma or you got a master's degree or something. There's a few people, like, bachelors of something, but most of the time, you either just have a high school diploma or you got a master's degree. And the position that I apply for, I work I work with transitioning soldiers. I help them. Basically, I help soldiers get out of the Army. I help them find jobs. I help them with their resumes. I help them do interviews, like I just help soldiers get out of the army and kind of make the transition over into civilian life. And um, that job required a, a master's degree. It, it was it's a contract position. And I was lucky enough to get it. It's full-time, you know, eight to five kind of job. Um, and like I said, I submitted my um, my resume like three or four different times to these people. And um, since I've been in this position, I know I, I've come to see that there are actually quite a few people here with master's degrees, and many of them have actually been in this role before, um, but they left and found other employment in better positions. I can't do that because of my type of degree and my 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 like my career track, so. But, but I'm okay with where I am. The pay is decent, you know, and it's not like a bad position. Um, it's just been really interesting. I tried to get licensed in my field from over here. And when I first came over here, I was told, you know, oh, yeah, you'll be able to get licensed. You can take your licensing exam over there in Europe. It's a Pearson View exam. You can take it. It'll be fine. Um, and when I tried to take the test, uh, there was a small, really small technical difficulty that they couldn't fix. They had no control over it and that prevented me from taking the exam. So for a long time, I was planning to go back to the States and take it. Um, but I just changed, at the end of the day, I just 
gave it up because it just became too much of a hassle. But had I taken that exam and gotten licensed, I could have matriculated over into um, other types of employment um, here in, in, in Europe. Um, is it, it, I feel like for employment over here, it's going to be what you make it. There are positions available for different types of people at all education levels. You just got to find it and like really, really pursue it. And so I mentioned earlier that a lot of families over here are only on one income. And most of the time the spouse is either, they either pick up like a position or a job with the commissary or the PX, which is kind of like a Walmart or the shop at, which is like a grocery, like a, a gas station, or they may open up a home-based business or they just don't do anything at all and just take care of the kids. And that might work for them. Um, but for me in my house, I got to get out and do something. So I was able to actually at one point in time, Janine, I had three jobs over here. It was crazy. <laughs> <laughs> I was working my full time position and then I picked up um, being an adjunct instructor, adjunct instructor with one of the local colleges that has a branch over here. Um, and then um, I was working with um, an organization back home, doing like some contracted work for them, working on special projects. And so I had all three of these things circulating all at one time. And I would tell people, like sometimes I would tell people, yeah, um, you know, I can't hang out on this day because I got to work for my other job. And they look at me like, how do you get three jobs over here? I can't even find one. <laughs> <laughs> you are, you've always been very ambitious when it comes to your education and your style of work. So that does not surprise me <laughs> at all. I'm not even shocked. <laughs> what I just want to know what's next I mean with the transition away from Germany and you know thinking through the fact that next year this time you could be living somewhere completely different work-wise mm-hmm. educational wise what's next for you um a PhD my next step is a PhD that's all there is to it like yeah I could probably find something else in the state like if we go back to the states I could probably find something you know, making decent money with a master with my degree and be happy with that. But like, I just need to go ahead, get this last one and be done. So that's my next step. Mm -hmm. Well, I'm rooting for you. I know that you will accomplish everything that you've set out for. One thing that we have not talked about, which I think you were a very big inspiration for me on my natural hair journey when we met back in what 2012 it's yeah. been a long ride for us Girl, it has. <laughs> it's been a long time but you know you were very much so a proponent of natural hair and you had so many different products and so much insight on how to care for your natural hair and I really want you to tell everybody how that journey has been moving over in Germany because we want to make sure that listeners know you can you can travel and still be natural. So how's it going? Whoo child it's been a journey. <laughs> <laughs> so um so you can have natural hair products shipped over here, which I didn't know when I first got here. And I had, I had all my friends, girl, everybody was lined up. They were like, Veronica, let us know what you need. Girl, we'll ship it to you, no problem. But um, like most, most of the bigger companies do ship over here. And some of the bigger name brands, we can find those in the, um, 
in the PX, like our Walmart, we can find those in the PX, one of the bigger name brands. Um, so like before I left the States, I had a set hair regimen with set products that I enjoyed, my hair enjoyed. Um, and if you remember, like right before I left, I had gotten some highlights in. Well, mm-hmm. I got over here. None of those products are readily available. All my highlights broke off and uh, I had to basically start from scratch. Mm-hmm. Um, but the beauty of the process was I knew what my hair liked. I knew what kind of ingredients worked for my hair. I knew what kind of regimen worked for my hair. I knew what kind of natural things that I could order from Amazon that would work for my hair really well to hold me over in the meantime. So basically what I ended up doing was I just stocked up on stuff from Amazon, like natural herbs and Ayurveda products. And I got, I got my oils together and um, just really stocked up on that stuff. And then um, for shampoo and conditioner, whatever I needed, I would just go, go to the PX and kind of figure out what it was that I needed or read the ingredients on the back of the bottle and figure out, okay, will this work? Will it's not? And I just kind of took it step by step. It went all the way back to like the very basics of natural hair care. Um, and, and, you know, my hair grew back. It was fine and everything was okay. And once I, once I was stopped trying to be so caught up in like my actual regimen and went back to what are the ingredients and what's actually going to work. And then to, I had to take into account the, the water quality over here and the atmosphere, it's really dry. It can rain over here and the air will still be dry. I don't know what what you call it. I don't know how to say it. All I know is I could literally walk out with glycerin on my hair and it will be raining, but my hair will feel dry and not moisturized like it would back in the States. Uh, so um, I just had to really work with what is over here and what what um, what what I have available. And the stylist that I had back in the states, she gave me some really great advice. She said, Veronica, whenever you get over there, use whatever the Germans use on their hair. The product that they have available in the stores is designed to work with their hair, their water, and their atmosphere. Right. And, uh, if you just kind of, you know, use their shampoo and conditioner, you should be able to make it work at least. If you get a shampoo that's too drying, add a little oil to it, shake it up real good, and that'll help help the shampoo not be as dry. Um, so you can use it, you know, to cleanse your hair and your scalp really well. Um, and then for conditioner, you know how to make a conditioner more conditioning. is always keep your oils to seal in all that moisture. And so that's what I went back to and I realized, okay, it's not going to be as easy as I thought it was. Um, and that really, really helped my hair. And then also um, the natural hair community over here is small, but it's very tight knit. We always got our back, girl. <laughs> um, when I got here, one of the first things I, well, not the first thing, but like one of the things that I did was figure out where can I buy hair products from? And I found um, the Facebook group and I joined it. And uh, I just stalked the Facebook group and I found a um, stylist that I actually trust over here. Everybody who calls themselves a beautician or cosmetologist or hairstylist is not an actual hairstylist. Yeah, you can style hair, but you know how to <laughs> You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And so um, I found a woman over here who actually knows how to take care of hair. And what really attracted me to her was 
one of my coworkers, um, his wife went to her uh, when they were back stationed in somewhere else in the States. And then they reconnected when they got over here. And so now the wife and a little, the, their children, their children um, are biracial. Their children go to her also. And the man, the guy that I work with, he goes to her to get his hair cut and he's white and she just cuts his hair and it looks phenomenal. So I was like, okay, she probably knows what she's doing. So I went to her the first time and she told me the product she was using. She didn't use anything crazy and out the way. She just used really, again, products with high, with good quality ingredients and good techniques. Um, she told me exactly what my hair needed and why it was dry. And she really helped me and worked with me and got my hair back to where it needed to be. So that was a huge thing. Um, and then in addition to that, I found a good braider over here. And um, she did me a really good set of knotless braids, had me looking flawless. Um, and what I really liked about her was my ends weren't rough and matted and tangled when I took those braids out. And so she, too, really knows how to care for the hair. And so, like, you, you definitely can travel while natural. But the thing to but the, but the key is you got to figure out what's going to work for your hair, not products, but like ingredients, the ingredients that work for your hair. Um, and, and try to figure out the atmosphere, the water quality of where you're going. So that way, you know, you can kind of make adjustments to your to your uh, regimen as necessary. And then wherever you're going, see if there's someone out there that can help you if you need help. Good, that's right. right. <laughs> <laughs> and I think that's the key, proper preparation, you know. Mm. So when I personally think about travel and exploring the world and you know, I think we kind of look at it a little differently as Black women when we're making these plans to go these places because there's so many th different things that are important to us that we have to consider before we go. And I know hair care is one of those things. I'm personally the person who's going to do my own hair. I've mm. always like prided myself in doing my own hair, but everybody isn't that way. So it's comforting to know that we can kind of normalize traveling with natural hair because usually where you're going, you're going to encounter people who have, you know, experience with taking care of natural hair or at least a very small community of people that you can kind of learn from and get the knowledge necessary to care for your own yeah, hair. Definitely. Anything else that you feel is important to know when just like being black abroad living black abroad um I just had this revelation a few days ago um and I'm still kind of like formulating exactly how to verbalize it so it's a little rough uh, but I think it's a very important revelation for people coming from the states and from Canada okay even though Africans have a huge diaspora, right? The, the continent itself is very, very large. And people on the continent have gone everywhere. We are everywhere. It's important to remember that African-Americans, and I guess uh, people who are of African descent and who live in Canada, we are very rare. Very, 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 very rare in the world in general, but also abroad. And my mom tried to warn me. She said, Veronica, whenever you go over there, they love black women. Girl, they love black women. I said, okay. But when I got over here, Janine, I really realized, no, they really do love black women. Like I could walk outside 
and just smile. People smile back and people are friendly and like they talk to me. I don't have any issues. Like I mentioned earlier, we went to France and we had a good time. But like all of my coworkers who went, they had a terrible time. They had issues with like people. People were rude to them. They're not African-American. They're not black. Um, and I think that has a little bit of something to do with it. Um, we, I remember particularly, I was doing some shopping and I was in like this little boutique. And uh, when we got into the boutique, we were ushered, not at night, you know, just shown. We were ushered over to a counter, seated at this counter. We had like a consultation about what I was looking for. And they brought out champagne, girl. And they like brought bags <laughs> to me and they encouraged me to like try the bag on and, you know, make yourself at home. And like, they really, I feel like, I felt like a star or something. It was weird. <laughs> and then um, there was a mom and a daughter and they were African. I don't know what country. I just know that they had an accent from somewhere on the continent. Um, they didn't receive the same treatment. And that mm. stuck with me. That still sticks with me. And I always wonder, mm. you know, I wonder why. And I remember walking around the city of Paris and uh, whenever we would speak, just like regular, me and, me and my husband could be having like a regular conversation. People would look and then they, their face would kind of like, oh, oh. Oh, well, okay. They're, they are from America. You're from the USA. Go USA. <laughs> it was really interesting. And like, even here in Germany, um, whenever, like, when, when we're in our local area, nobody cares because <laughs> they're used to seeing black people. Nobody cares. But when we leave our little area and we go somewhere else, it's kind of like, oh, you're from the States. Oh. oh, okay. Well, where are you from in the States? Oh, yeah. Like, they're just so keen to make conversation and talk. And I'm just like, listen, I'm trying to get this schnitzel and go. And I don't really want to have a conversation with you. Like, let me go. But they just want to sit and talk. And it's a really interesting experience. And it dawned on me, not a whole lot of Black people from the States actually travel, you know, like travel over here at least. And to these smaller areas, and so a lot of times it's it's a little jarring to the locals. But as long as you, as long as you are nice to them, and you know you at least try to enjoy their culture, most of the time they'll be nice to you and show you kindness. And um, you may feel, I know at first I felt a little strange being in my skin and being here, but eventually it became it, it was normal, you know. I think that's amazing. And I think when you when I hear you say that, I can't help but to think that, you know, you're right. And a lot of um, us as African-Americans living within the state, um, that wouldn't be our first choice of destination when we're mm -hmm. thinking about travel. Mm. And so I could see how it would be very jaw-dropping for them to encounter someone like you because it's not an encounter that they would 
you know, that would be a part of their day-to-day on a frequent basis. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that's amazing. And I think, you know, the purpose of just having the conversation is to just make everyone, help everyone to understand that it can be a comfortable situation for you. Some of us fear how people from other countries will receive us because our reception here in America uh-huh. varies. <laughs> so it is a little frightening when you're traveling to different places. You have to prepare yourself for what it, what experience you're going to encounter and to know that you know every experience is not a hateful one. Every experience is not one that you have to be in fear of your safety as you're on the train or uh-huh. you know out in city center. So that's, I think it's really good for us to hear and for listeners to understand that we can normalize traveling while Black. So thank you so much, Veronica, for joining um, the Lying is Simple podcast today. I really appreciate it. And I'm looking forward to chatting with you again soon on some future episodes. Absolutely, girl. Let me know whenever you need me. I'm right here. (laughs) 